Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns began in 1993 with support from University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, all electric vehicles are on the way. That's the belief of folks from A Climate to Thrive, a citizens group on Mount Desert Island. They're mounting a program to get local nonprofits and municipalities to install public charging stations this summer. And I'm very happy to welcome two folks from Climate to Thrive um, with us in the studio. Uh, Dennis Kiley, um, welcome to you, Dennis. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And Gordon Beck, thanks for coming in, Jordan. Thanks, Ron. Good to be here. And uh, we'll, we may talk with some others uh, by phone, but uh, let's get started. Um, each of you give us a little bit of background about yourselves and how you got involved in A Climate to Thrive, and then we'll broaden that out to talk about the, the, the programs of Climate to Thrive. Dennis, start with you. What's your background? How did you get involved? Uh, my background is as a psychotherapist primarily on the island, but have always been passionate about the outdoors personally as well as trying to be involved in organizations that are promoting sustainability and taking action to preserve our planet. And so I was a part of a small group of people that were getting together informally to talk about how we can make the island, that being MDI, a pillar of sustainability. And so there was a group of about five or six of us who decided to put together a potluck and mm. just get a sense of what community members would show up. And the purpose of the potluck was simultaneously to foster community and conversation and engagement, but just as importantly, to see what action steps we could take specific to MDI to really promote sustainable measures. And so about a couple of years ago, there, like I mentioned, there was about four or five of us that put on this potluck, and we were expecting anywhere between five, six people, and all of a sudden we had uh, the house of Gary and Glennon Friedman just bustling with people, and we realized that we were onto something, and that evolved over the next number of months with continued potluck and more and more people showing up that we thought were onto something, and from there, we got inspiration from a Danish island called Samso that made their island energy independent. And we thought, what's precluding and prohibiting us from trying to do something similarly? And it was, seemed like it was just harebrained and crazy enough that it might work. And so we put on um, a very large opening inaugural launch to assess where people were in supporting this project and idea. And on the same day that the New England Patriots in January were playing for the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. We got over 250 people, and that really set the tone from there, and we've 
continued further. I'm happy to say more about the project. I'm currently the vice chair of the organization and uh, working specifically with Gordon on transportation and more specifically electric vehicles. Mm. I'll come back and we'll learn a little bit more about some of the other initiatives for climate to thrive. Uh, Gordon, what's your interest and how did you get involved? Well, I've lived up here now for about 10 years full-time and in the town of Mount Desert. Uh, got involved with the Sustainability Committee for the town of Mount Desert, doing a variety of projects, including LED streetlight conversions mm. and solar arrays and those types of things, and began to hear about uh, the early days of A Climate to Thrive. It got enthusiastic and was really impressed, as, as Dennis mentioned, the first launch meeting at the neighborhood house in Northeast Harbor and the turnout. And so I became involved and worked on a few projects uh, last year, and the electric vehicle opportunity came along, and it's just been a, a labor of love. Mm. What's, what, what, what's behind this notion that people get involved in, 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 in do something around their climate? What, is there a common thread that you found in those potluck suppers and, and leading to the, the conference? What is it that, that inspires people? Dennis? Yeah, so before I answer that question, Ron, I should first just clarify for our audience and listeners that A Climate to Thrive is committed to making Mount Desert Island energy independent by 2030. So that is the goal and the mission that we created as a result of those potlucks. Mm -hmm. And those potlucks, what we noticed was a trend of people who were really concerned about the planet and climate change and what was happening both globally and even locally more specifically. And so there was not only the concern, but there was a desire for community. I think climate change, and the issues related to that can sometimes feel very isolating and overwhelming. And so there was a desire to let's come together, but also let's similarly do something. It's really much more empowering to feel like you're engaging in a way that's productive, doing something both that has local benefit, but also hopefully larger long-term implications and trying to be leaders. So mm -hmm. I think that's what we noticed is people who were concerned, they were caring, and then they were uh, using another C word, committed to doing something to bring about change in action. Mm. And you're not alone. I think um, listeners from uh, throughout our, our area and those who are listening um, online are probably familiar with the kinds of efforts that are happening in, in kitchens and community halls and, and uh, um, thinking about the, this is something we can do <laughs> and we can get involved. Um, Gordon, specifically, tell us a little bit about your interest in electric vehicles. Well, uh I can't say that I was a car enthusiast from birth, but I've been driving since I was sure. totally illegally driving uh, at a young age. And I just uh, – it, it just fit with my feeling uh, about something that individuals can do, uh, many other things that, that individuals can do in their daily lives uh, in support uh, of the environment and, and clean air and, you know, all sorts of initiatives. And uh, electric vehicles just seem to me – um, to be the logical wave of the future. Uh, you know, from the 30,000-foot uh, point of view, uh, a lot of electrification needs to happen on this planet, and it is underway um, because of fossil fuel uh, issues, uh -huh. among others. And electric vehicles, uh, transportation is a huge thing. We all drive cars. We're Americans who love to have our individual vehicles, and we're extracting fossil fuels all the time in service to our, you know, self-indulgence and, and freedom to drive. Mm -hmm. Electric vehicles are a really great transition to what I think will be a, for our children and their children, uh, 
the future of transportation. Let's uh, clarify the, the different kinds of um, uh, ways in which electricity is kind of entering the transportation um, sector. Um, you've got a, a kind of a handy uh, guide to the, the, the four or five different ways in which um, electric plays into it, including all electric vehicles, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But just r- remind listeners what the, the, the various ways we're making a contribution. Well, uh, I think most listeners are familiar with the Toyota Prius. It's mm-hmm. been around for quite a while. Um, it, it was, it's one of the, there have been electric vehicles since very early in the century, uh, but obviously uh, didn't take hold until fairly recently. But the Prius is is one of the original uh, hybrids. Um, it didn't plug into a wall. You would drive it totally independently. It did use gas, but it used regenerative braking to drive electric and to create electricity to drive electric motors, so mm-hmm. low speeds. Uh, it was all electric. Um, and it could regenerate right as it so goes. that was that was in, in some ways the the first step as yes. in, in experimenting using um, electricity to reduce the amount of gasoline you consumed or diesel fuel yeah exactly yeah. and then the next logical step was the uh, the series hybrid where you or the plug-in hybrid I should say where you'd actually plug in and charge a battery pack mm-hmm. in your car and essentially doing the same thing less and less gas use and the next full step was to full electric vehicles, which plug in no gasoline engine, diesel engine, or anything like that, and run strictly on electricity. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are now. And you said um, before the show that you got to drive a Tesla, for instance, <laughs> and that was a pretty cool experience. Tell us a little bit about what that, what, you know, what that felt like. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, from the outside, and it's, it's a sleek-looking car, and you step inside, and it's uh, a nice, modern, uh, luxury sedan. Uh-huh. Uh, but you drive it, it's, it's extraordinarily quiet. Uh, and it's, it's unla- the acceleration is completely different from a normal car. Some of us have t- turbos and, you know, you hit the pedal and it'll kick in. And, but with the electric car, it's just continuous torque. And uh-huh. uh, it's, it's uh, the, people have described it as a head-snapping experience. Um, it's, it's just a completely different way of driving, and most of the electric vehicles today, uh, rather than braking, uh, you take your foot off the accelerator, and regenerative braking is actually braking to charge the battery. It's a very it takes some adjusting to get mm, used to driving mm, that mm, way. Mm. Uh, when you're used to taking your foot off the pedal and the car coasts, these will slow down. And uh-huh. people have driven electric cars without using the brakes at all sure. uh, for quite a while. So what, what does this begin to um, maybe, Dennis, you've got some background on how this figures into this notion that we can be energy independent, um, either on Mount Desert Island or, or as a state or, or nation. Um, how does transportation fit into that overall picture? picture? Any guesstimates on, on that? So when we were starting a Climate to Thrive, we identified six areas that we thought were going to be really primarily important to address if we were serious about reaching this goal of energy independence. And they included waste, food systems, energy, public policy, transportation, um, and weatherization, mm. building, et cetera. And the, the estimates and statistics vary depending on who you ask. But, some, you know, kind of I think a safe way to say it is transportation often accounts for around 30 percent 
of emissions that are out there. So it was really important. And one of the things that I realized as I started to take the lead on identifying transportation issues is that it's simultaneously not necessarily a very sexy subject, not to mention that, as Gordon alluded to, it really uh, ties into a lot of people's identities and values of they either define themselves by their cars or I want to go where I want, when I want, and I don't want to have to wait on public transportation or carpool, et cetera. So when we first started this project, we were looking at a number of different ways to promote more sustainable transportation. We created a Facebook page for ride sharing. We were trying to work to promote more usage of public transportation, et cetera. And it just wasn't necessarily generating the type of traction and engagement that we were wanting from our community and ultimately needed to be successful. And so we started to hear from our community that people were really interested in electric vehicles. They seemed, there was a lot of buzz. They did seem to be sexy. And it also seemed like not only was it the wave of the future, but could really address a lot of issues that uh, transportation needs to. And so we put on an electric vehicle symposium a little over a year ago and got an incredibly strong turnout, and it was evident that we were on to something. Mm -hmm. So uh, remind us um, how electric vehicles get their power. Um, Gordon, um, you plug it in at home, but how do you, how does, uh, if, if you're not regenerating electricity by, by taking your foot off the gas pedal on an electric vehicle, how do you power it up? Uh, you plug it in. Mm -hmm. And uh, 80% of charging of electric vehicles is done at home. Okay. Um, if you think about it, you know, uh, the, the vast majority of people will come home. You can plug the car in. It will charge up overnight. And for the past few number of years, that's been the majority public uh, or destination charging is a fairly recent phenomenon. Um, and uh, that's increasing. That's one of our, the, the focus of our project. Uh, so that, in other words, if someone's taking a trip it's yes. beyond their, their um, daily commute where, in which they go home and charge up, you're talking about public spaces where they could say, oh, I'm going to charge up in order to get back home. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and Tesla, you know, took quite a bit of the lead. Um, there are Tesla superchargers, which charge Tesla vehicles only, uh, but very rapidly, uh, half an hour, and you're back up to battery, so to speak. And uh, many uh, places are beginning to workplaces and uh, uh, supermarkets, etc. You know, for people who are coming in and shopping, and now municipalities, mm -hmm. um, workplaces, as I say, where during the day people can charge up. Um, that's so the, the the notion that electricity is is more environmentally friendly than other uh, oil based kinds of things is certainly part of your effort. What do we know about how we generate electricity, and why is that more? Um, why is that better, Gordon? Well, that's that's one of the fascinating things to me is, you know, electricity is generated through – given to you essentially through your utility and it's right. generated, regulated or not, uh, by power plants. Uh, the utilities are moving more and more towards renewables, clean energy, uh, phasing out dirty energy like from coal. Um, there's been a lot of talk. Originally, uh, electric vehicles came out and – uh, some of the critics would say, well, there's so much embedded energy into building an electric vehicle mm. um, that it's, you know, you're not gaining anything. But the, the, the real science, the facts are that as the utilities uh, have more electrical demand and electric vehicles are helping to create that demand, 
the utilities are moving towards renewables. And over the life of an electric car, that higher embedded energy when it was manufactured ends up uh, using less fossil fuel in the long run. So it's this one upward trend and a downward trend, and it's moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So if we can generate electricity um, through solar collectors or through the wind or wave energy, um, those are the ways in which we're reducing our carbon footprint for the most part. Um, And that's why it seems like you're saying, well, electric vehicles make sense because we're going to take advantage of the generation strategies of the electric companies, the, the, the power companies. Exactly. And, uh, and even on an individual level, our, uh, the chairman of A Climate to Thrive, Gary Friedman, uh, has an electric vehicle and he has solar panels uh, on, on one of his buildings and he can take his car over there and on a sunny day, he's totally charged up. He mm-hmm. doesn't have to hit a gas station. Right, right. Yeah. And I would just add that what a climate to thrive is recognized is in order to become energy independent, we simultaneously have to reduce our carbon emissions, but we also have to find alternative means of generating power and electricity that are more sustainable and harmonious with the planet. And the beautiful thing about solar and electrification and specifically electric vehicles is it does both of those things, that it reduces the emissions that traditionally come out of combustion engines and the oil and gas that's used and simultaneously more and more as an organization in the general trends as Gordon alluded to is that we're using more alternative energies to generate the very electricity that we're using to reduce the carbon emissions from gas-powered engines. So let's introduce the project that you're involved in. Um, You're trying to get more publicly available charging stations on Mount Desert Island and throughout the region. Uh, Gordon, give us um, the the rationale there and what you're hoping to accomplish in the next year or so. Well, this is a wonderful phrase, range anxiety. Uh, Owners of electric vehicles have have always had that um, uh, issue. How far can they go without uh, being able to charge? Uh, So the, the rationale is if you're in California, there are charging stations everywhere. Uh, if you're in Maine and our area, uh, few and far between. So our goal is to essentially help create a robust network of charging stations all along popular routes, at tourist destinations, etc., so that there is no more range anxiety. Let's make that a thing of the past. Uh, regardless of the range of your particular electric vehicle, we want you to be able to charge your car up pretty much anywhere. So the, this notion um, that we all are familiar with, whether we use cell phones or computers, we're always con- we always know how much battery we have left. And what you're saying is that if you're o- you own and operate an electric car, you have that same anxiety, and you don't know <laughs> where you're going to plug that in. Yeah. Uh, well, you used to have that anxiety, and that's decreasing. Right. And every electric vehicle owner is familiar with the apps, uh, plug share and EV charge and uh, a variety of mapping technologies that will show you where's the next charger and what style is it. Uh, Dennis? And I would just add into that that as part of the mission of A Climate to Thrive, I said that the impetus early on was because we cared so much for the planet. But our belief is, and we're finding it to be true, is that in order to accomplish our mission, that we have to make sure that there is a viable economic case Mm. for this to work through, that a lot of people are not going to make decisions. In fact, we know that only about 20% of people will make choices based on the environment. So we have to have compelling other explanations for why they should be adopting these different changes and behaviors. 
behaviors. And one of the things about introducing uh, charging infrastructure that aligns with the overall mission of a climate to thrive is that, yes, we are reducing emissions and promoting more sustainability. But additionally, we are encouraging community. We're benefiting the health and well-being of people physiologically. But the final one is that there's an economic case for it. And so according to a kind of internal informal study they found, for example, at Target was that average users stayed about twice as long, a little over that actually, at a Target store when they were plugged in and getting charging. And so the case that we have been making, uh, both in putting out to a grant and this infrastructure project in the first place and subsequently in finding host sites, is that this is not only going to be good for the planet, but it's also something that's going to have compelling economic benefits for your communities. And that's something that I think has been really enticing and appealing to a lot of people. Great. You're listening to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We're talking about electric vehicles and the need for charging stations, um, the effort here um, uh, in this area, um, a climate to thrive. And our guests, Gordon Beck and Dennis Kiley. We're going now by phone to Scott Vlon. Uh, Scott is uh, with the Center for Ecology-Based Economy in Western Maine. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Scott. Hi, how are you? Great. So glad that you can be with us. And and, uh, you heard a little bit of uh, our our most recent uh, uh, section of the conversation. Tell us a little bit about the Center for Ecology-Based Economy and the work that you're doing to promote electric vehicle and and charging stations. Sure, I'd be happy to. So um, Center for Ecology-Based Economy, or what we call CB, um, we started five years ago in Norway, Maine, and we're just trying to kind of boost the uh, adaptation, adaptation and mitigation of, of climate change in our area of rural western Maine um, and electric vehicles have been part of that. We kind of backed our way into that. We also work in the food system work. We're community food council. We, um, we work in shelter area and renewable energy and transportation. So um, among all those things, we started working on a community solar farm with revision energy way back just helping them promote their solar farm in paris maine and they gave us an electric vehicle charger as a gift and we didn't really know what to do with it at first but we got the town of norway to allow us allow us to put it in the town square and it was so popular that we put another one the next year in paris and because of that work um a funder found us and decided to fund us to do more electric vehicle charging infrastructure um and we do an annual, we call it our EV Expo. We've had three of them now, and they've been increasingly popular. This past year, we had about 300 people come out to learn about electric vehicles. We had 40 EVs show up at the high school where we just put an in installation. So it's really catching on in our area. We've, we think we have, well, when we started CB, we thought we had one electric vehicle in the area that we knew of, and now we know of about 50. So it's... And, and in your experience, um, what were some of the things that people um, said, yes, let's go full, full speed ahead or full charge? <laughs> and, and, and what were some of the, the drawbacks or questions that people had about um, uh, charging stations? Well, as I heard your other guests talking about, the range of anxiety is always a big one. Like the first thing is, well, how far can you go on this thing and how long does it take to charge? That's right. like a big, a big one. Um, I think the thing that people love is the minute you get them in one. Um, their the driving experience is so different and so much better than a, than a gas car that um, they want one. That, you know, immediately they're like, wow, I, I would love to have this. And then all the issues around cost and, you know, charging infrastructure and all that stuff come up. But um, those seem to be the, the, you know, the biggest 
positive and negative. And um, in, a, in a, you're a similarly rural area, um, were there any particular challenges in, in kind of rural places that you've encountered? Well, not so much. I mean, most people use them to commute. Most people charge them at home. Um, so if you have a normal commute and you sort of know how far you're going, um, you know, you charge at home, it's, it's pretty, pretty straight up. What we've noticed, you know, in the wintertime, it's much more challenging. The range drops significantly on the cars in the winter. So if it's in the wintertime and you, you know, you have multiple trips to do, then that range anxiety thing can become very real when you don't have places to charge in between trips. Um, which is what we're trying to address now with our with our Western Maine infrastructure project. So, what's the future? What 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 are you what will you be working on in the next couple of years? So, so in the well, let me just back up a little to this past year. We installed a three electric vehicle chargers at our high school, and another one in Norway. Great. And both of those we've been able to back up with solar power. So we're offsetting all the charging with solar power. Um, we have a 6,300-watt tracker at the high school, and we just covered the roof of this little kiosk in the square in Norway. And those are, you know, the solar track. Even though they're grid-tied, the, the solar installation is right there with the charger. So it just it, intuitively people understand that, wow, you can you can tra- charge cars with solar power. Um, so we've done those two installations and have had a lot of positive response and a little bit of negative response, of course, as you can imagine. People are like, well, why do we, you know, why do we even care? Why do we need this? What, mm. What's the deal? Um, there's a fair amount of climate denial going on. So if that's kind of your motivation, people are, you know, you know, we have one guy that will park his pickup truck in front of the chargers. I think a lot of people <laughs> have had that sort of thing just, sure. to, make, just to make a point. Um, so this year we're spreading out from the Norway South Paris area into the surrounding region. Um, we're, we're putting four chargers up in Bethel, which is, a, mm. you know, a big tourist destination with one tiny EV charger at Gould Academy, and it's really hard to find and doesn't really even have a parking spot with it. So we're putting four chargers up there. We're um, about to install one in Poland at the library there, which is kind of that corridor from Maine, uh, from Portland to, to the Oxford Hills area. Um, we've got one going up at Hebron, at Hebron Academy. And then we're looking with, uh, we're talking to the town of Buckfield, Freiburg, and Bridgeton about putting them there as well. So we'll kind of just weave a better network in the area so that if people are coming through Western Maine, they, they won't have that the range anxiety problem. Great. Um, I think Gordon has a, either a question or comment. Gordon? Well, it's Scott, this is Gordon Beck. And, and it's, Hi, Gordon. It's, it's, how are you doing? It's great Good. to hear uh, your progress. And I just wanted to make the point that Scott's been doing this now for a while. We uh, literally started uh, at the beginning of this year, mm-hmm. and being based out of MDI, we're sort of focused on the uh, the coastal route. Um, a lot of our inspiration has come from CEBE and the work that Scott's doing in his area. Uh, the Greater Greater Council, great, sorry, Greater Portland Council of Governments, uh, mean Maine Clean Communities, have done similar efforts. Uh, down, you know, based out of the Portland area, mm-hmm. um, and, and what's really inspiring is that these types of groups, Climate to Thrive, CEB, et cetera, we're forming a network. Uh, in, we're building out uh, these pockets in a variety of 
very rural areas and some surprising destinations and obviously some hubs and long coastal routes and other routes. Great. Uh, well, Scott, thanks so much for being with us. I know it's, uh, you've got a busy schedule, but uh, thanks and, and congratulations on the good work that you're doing, you and your colleagues are doing in, in western Maine. Thanks for being with us well, here on Talk of the Towns. Thanks a lot, and thanks for talking about EVs. Okay, great. That's Scott Vlon of the Center for Ecology-Based Economy in western Maine. Uh, Dennis Kiley? Yeah, I was just going to chime in, and as Gordon alluded to, uh, Scott's been doing this for a long time, but what I would add to that as well is that he's been really willing to share information and resources and collaborate. And that has been central to what I think has enabled a lot of EV structure, infrastructure to expand throughout the state, is people's willingness is to share resources, to work together, et cetera. And I think that really epitomizes um, what we're needing more of. And that's not just in environmental circles, but economically and otherwise. And so just wanting to acknowledge uh, the willingness of different collaborators. And it's, it's, we're very grateful for it. And we're hoping that we can similarly be a resource for other people and those listeners and audiences who might be hopefully inspired to do things that we'd love to work with you to help as well. I think that the notion that you're doing this not as government, you're doing it as lots of um, little smaller initiatives that are linked up, kind of like the grid. Uh, (laughs) And this notion that um, change comes because people say, I want this for my community, I want this for my family, I'm willing to invest time, uh, which is probably the most important um, commodity at this stage, and resources. And um, this notion that um, you're linking together, it's just, it seems really inspiring. Yeah. So um, the 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 practical details um, what do, what do electric vehicles cost um, what does in, what, what's the cost of, of uh, electricity um, how does all the the economics begin to shake out uh, Gordon you can get us started and and we'll see how far we can get with that uh, notion <laughs> that was a pretty big question but yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think it's it's fair to say at this point that the um, the, the, for, ad, uh, for adapting to electric vehicles in a, in a really widespread fashion, uh, there's a sweet spot of roughly around $30,000 for the cost of a vehicle. Because um, that's what people are used to paying exactly. for. A little bit high end, but, but vehicles that are going to last a while, they're going to spend that money. Exactly. And, and uh, everybody probably knows, uh, is aware of uh, Tesla and their Model 3, which was designed specifically to hit that price point. Um, the, you know the Model S, which was uh, their original sedan, is you know you can easily spend six figures. Sure. Um, there is now uh, the manufacturers, virtually every major auto manufacturer is coming out with, or either has lines, or is coming out with lines over the next several years, um, and that's that's across the board. But what's out there now? The Nissan Leaf has been out for a couple of years and improved every year. The Chevy Bolt is probably the most. Uh, currently well-known American full electric model, uh, over 200 miles of range, and affordable. Um, there are tax incentives uh, that, that help electric vehicles, a federal tax credit. Um, and the interesting note there is as a manufacturer hits sales of 200,000 units of a particular line, that tax credit begins to phase out over a period of a year or two. Um, so it's sort of this is the time. It's mm. a, it's a it's prime time for for buying cars, and the cost of electricity obviously varies around the country and to a, to a degree in Maine. Um, but what we what we look at uh, w- when we uh, go to our municipalities and say here are a couple of chargers. They're called level two chargers. They're roughly thirty two amp 
chargers. They have a certain capacity of charging. Uh, and m- the ones we put out there, are all electric vehicles can use them. And the vehicles accept charge at different rates. So it's very difficult to pinpoint, well, what's the exact cost of that electricity? You know, as a general rule, an hour on average probably costs the host site of the charger about a buck an hour for a car that's actually charging. In terms of the cost of operation, um, we're looking at um, the, the, the you know the comparison between what does it cost for a gas model, I suppose, per mile driven versus electric. Um, any guesstimate on those comparisons? Uh, it. It does vary depending on the model. Sure. Uh, and, and most people are used to those you know, EPA uh, ratings of miles per gallon. And the electric equivalent uh, is, is uh, a calculation that can be done. The cost per mile, generally speaking, is lower for a electric, fully electric vehicle. Uh, there are obviously some hybrid models out there that are still using gas. They have very good mileage, but they're, and their cost per mile is a tad higher. Sure. So again, the the homeowner that like your your colleague Gary Friedman, who has a solar collector, basically um, they've made the investment in the solar collector. They've made the investment in the vehicle. After that's kind of um, kind of set aside, then that um, is free. <laughs> I mean, the sun is providing the energy, and that's that's free operation um, if you if you look at it that way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I would just chime in and say that one of the interesting and exciting things about the electric vehicle field is that it's so rapidly changing Mm -hmm. and is very much a disruptive technology in some respects, which makes it difficult. What's disruptive technology? Well, it's taking the conventional model and paradigm that we've known for so long, and it's really changing it and turning it on its head, and it's doing it very rapidly. Mm -hmm. And so if we correlate it to something like the iPhone, it was only a little over 10 years ago that the smartphone was developed, and now all of a sudden everyone has them. And it makes it very difficult to come up with accurate assessments and statistics of where we not only are, but where we're going to be. And so, for example, uh, I read one study that said that uh, uh, come 2030, which is actually coincidentally when a Climate to Thrive is planning to have achieved their mission, that it'll be around 40 to 50 percent of all new vehicles will be electric. I similarly heard an, another study out of a think tank in London that estimated that around 90 percent of all vehicle miles by 2030 will be electric. So it's really hard to get an accurate sense of that. And one of the things that I bring it back around to the subject that Gordon was talking about is that initially, um, even just about a year ago, estimates were that it was going to be around 2026, that it be that tipping point where an electric vehicle uh, would just totally counteract and exceed the benefits of a gas car, including costs, et cetera. And now they're already bringing that up. Just in the last year, they brought that up to four uh, four years. So it's now about 2022 that they're thinking that just standing alone, comparison to comparison, that uh, the EV will make sense. And so I think it's really hard to know exactly where we're going. And it's great that we're having these conversations, but to realize that just how rapidly things are changing, that I think there's a lot of hopeful reason to believe that it could be even in the next two or three years that electric vehicles will just economically make more sense independent of what you feel about where your energy is coming from or emissions, et cetera. And that's really consistent with the, or it's it's a nice way of of, uh, connecting what you heard from some of those folks at the potluck 
Starbucks that said, oh, my next car is going to be an electric vehicle. So if we think about it in terms of an investment that somebody's going to be making in three, four, five <coughs> years, then it makes real, real sense that those are going to be investments in electric versus gas. Exactly. And I would also add to that that one of the things we haven't discussed is not only are you not paying for gas with electric, but the cost of maintenance is so much less that the number of parts that are in an electric vehicle are very, very few. So you're not only not paying for the gas, but you're not having to go in all the time for oil changes and all these parts related to engines and otherwise. Mm -hmm. So um, as we we think about, I'll just remind listeners that are tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We're talking about electric vehicle charging stations um, being part of the the network that needed uh, to support the change to electric vehicles. And uh, our guests are uh, Dennis Kiley and Gordon Beck, both from A Climate to Thrive on Mount Desert Island. Uh, Gordon, so what's the what are some of the specifics in terms of what you're hoping to achieve in terms of the locations and, and uh, the economics of charging stations? Well, we set out originally to uh, try to get uh, between four to six charging station locations uh, operational by June. And that, this June coming? This current, this current June. We only started in January. Um, and uh, you know, I talked to a, a few people out there who had been trying to do some of these types of things. And, oh, that's, that's good ambitious. Luck. Good luck. They, they thought that was um, ambitious. Uh, but uh, we've been very happy with our success so far. So uh, currently we have uh, targeted for installation and operational by early June. Uh, installations and, and the installations, just so I make it clear, uh, these are two-car uh, charging stations that we're putting out there. Uh, there's a ton of single charging. If you're, you know, in Brewer and you go to the Dunkin' Donuts, you know, for about five years, there's been a little charger there for one car. Mm. We're putting two car units out there, full charge capability on each of them. Um, we've got installations going into Belfast, uh, into Southwest Harbor on MDI, uh, the Acadia Welcome Center in Trenton. Uh, and Machias, the Chamber of Commerce, uh, and the City Hall at Eastport. Um, I think that's what we have currently. Mm. And and there are obviously several more in the pipeline. Um, and I'll make one specific mention about Ellsworth, which is really sort of a, you know, you look at a map of Maine and you see the southern coast up through Portland and whatnot, and there's a lot of stations. Um, Augusta has a few stations. Bangor's got, you know, an array of eight Tesla superchargers and a couple of other. Uh, but there's not much beyond that. A few on Mount Desert Island. But so we're trying to really fill in the gaps. Fill in the gaps. Yeah. And Ellsworth is a key hub. And Ellsworth is enthusiastic. We're sort of working out details and hope to announce what's going in there soon. And and other places along the coastal route. And then we work inland. And at some point, we'll be sort of overlapping with what Scott's doing, what Portland's mm. doing. And so the, the notion as you approach either a municipality or a, a local business or a nonprofit, you're saying um, you have the ability to provide the charger. They are contributing the, the, the electricity. And so I'm sure you get questions about, well, what's that going to cost me over the course of a year? Because that's a cost to the either the municipality or the nonprofit or the business. Exactly. And, and you know, we're totally honest and say we can't tell you what it will cost. It, mm -hmm. it really depends on how heavy the usage of the station is, uh, what kind of cars are using it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's a huge range there. Um, it's also keeping in mind that in many of these locations, we're talking about seasonal use once you get above, 
you know, the, the existing inventory of cars here year-round on the road. Uh, it's hard to predict. We're, we're going to – we're trying to accumulate data. Uh, we'll know a lot more after this season and the next season. You know, generally we can tell municipalities, look, it's, it's likely that the cost of electricity might be a couple hundred bucks, a few hundred dollars uh, per year mm-hmm. uh, for the first year or two because we don't anticipate super heavy use. But we'll see how the tourist season comes. Mm-hmm. And that's an important component. Um, uh, if you think about it, uh, if you're in Boston, uh, charging stations and electric vehicles are far more prevalent than in Bangor, Augusta, Portland. Um, There's a lot more people living there too. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, this area is a magnet for tourism. Okay. Uh, and increasingly – uh, and, and part of our mission is to make a, that accessible to someone with an electric vehicle coming from out of state. Great. I'm going to ho- hold your thought, Dennis. I'm going to just list our phone number. I'm in case there are listeners who have their own experience or questions, um, give us a call at one 866 625-9378 or locally at 469-0500 as we talk with Dennis Kiley and Gordon Beck from A Climate to Thrive about electric vehicle charging stations. Uh, Dennis? I was just going to chime in with a little information for audience members who might not be aware of. So there's a number of different types of charging stations. Gordon has referenced that Tesla has their super fast chargers that really only work with Tesla vehicles. There's also what are called DC fast chargers that that uh, they're very expensive to install and purchase, not to mention. But that said, they're very quick to charge a vehicle. What we've been focusing our efforts on are what are called level two charging stations. And there are two primary types of chargers that fall under the level two categories. One is what accepts credit cards. Uh, It's typically called ChargePoint is the uh, company that works with that. And there's a lot of compelling reasons that people want to work with them because it takes out the host site from having to necessarily pay for Uh, electricity or provide anything for free. However, one of the things that we have been um, dealing with is the reality of the cost of this charge point infrastructure is so much more expensive than the other alternative, which does require the host site to pay for electricity, but is much easier and less expensive for an install. And so we have been trying to find collaborators who are willing to provide the electricity because it enables our funding to be leveraged and go so much further than it would to put in a charge point, which is you know, exceedingly more expensive. Mm. And you said that there are um, some indications that if it's a in a community, um, people are going to stay longer, and therefore they're going to be contributing to that community's economy by shopping in a, in a store or going to a restaurant where they know that their vehicle's being charged, they, they don't mind staying a little longer. Precisely. I think that's one of the compelling incentives for host sites to put in these charging infrastructure is that people are going to come and stay longer and they're going to spend their money, which is something that a lot of municipalities are really wanting these mm. days. Mm. Are there uh, particular barriers that we haven't talked about that um, um, you've encountered um, and how are you uh, dealing with, with uh, some of that resistance? Um, you, you heard from Scott, the the notion that there are climate change deniers out there who, um, um, you know, just get in in kind of in your in your face. Um, is that part of what you're facing as well? I haven't encountered that in my discussions with a lot uh-huh. of our potential host sites. Uh, others, I did speak to somebody just the other day. Um, happened to run a, a very nice uh, hotel restaurant, and I went in just to say, "Boy, this is such a great spot," you know. 
he said, I have – I don't know anybody who's come in here with an electric vehicle. Hmm. Uh, and after about 15 minutes of chatting with him, he did sort of come around to going like, well, you know, if we put a sign out there that we have an electric charge, who knows what will happen. Right. But there's that. There's sort of that uh, – initial, the initial pushback has been uh, the cost of electricity. And, and many municipalities, not-for-profits, we say, look – and Scott could speak to this if he were still here. He told me about – uh, one of his installations, they put a donation box. Sure. Um, and electric vehicle owners, you know, these they're days. They're happy to have. Exactly. Right. They're, they're thrilled to be able to have a place right. to charge and, you know, put in five or ten bucks. Uh, it's a lot less than a gas station. And, uh, you know, that's one way to recover the cost. And to Dennis's point about ChargePoint and some of the other smart networks uh, that are that are cloud-based software that allow – in theory, they allow a municipality to pass the cost on of the electricity to the EV owner. But there's a subscription fee annually that must be paid by the host. You can't charge an EV owner too much on one of those systems. Otherwise, right. they'll, right. they'll find an alternative. Right. So are there, are there um, uh, companies – you've mentioned places in, in Bangor. How about Mount Desert Island? Are there companies that – uh, hotels or um, restaurants that are already doing this on their own? Are you finding you're able to collaborate with some of them? Yeah, uh, you know, our, our primary focus has been uh, for publicly accessible chargers uh, and, and, as I said before, to build out that sort of network in rural Maine and make the technology accessible to people in the more rural areas. Uh, but in a place like Bar Harbor, there are several uh, hotels that uh, have already put in chargers or are contemplating it. I, I, I know of one particular hotel where uh, Tesla a few years ago was – actually donating chargers, you know, giving them to owners like that. And uh, he put a Tesla charger in, and he said, I love it. Every summer, that slot of that charger is filled with somebody in a Tesla, and I love that demographic, and it's perfect for his business. Sure. Restaurants are beginning to get there, too. Great. Let's take a call from Margaret from Orland. Thanks for calling, and go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi. Um, I've had my leaf since uh, it's a 2015, which I bought at the end of 2014 and i'm really thrilled with it but it is limited in range it's um on the best of days it says 105 miles that's in the summer when it's fully charged which i do in my garage <clears throat> but um we have a number of hills here <laughs> and if it's a rainy day and you have to have the windshield wipers on and the lights on that degrades your uh, range too, so I know what uh, range anxiety feels like. <laughs> and I have a daughter who lives in Lewiston, and I—I I mean, in Auburn, actually, uh, which I've figured out on the maps is about 105 miles, just a little bit too far <laughs> for comfort. Sure. So I've kind of looked in some of the charging stations on the way. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I would have to take a level two uh -huh. charger. Um, and but even so, I've got to factor in. I'm going to have to hang around for another hour, probably, to charge it up enough to sure. get there that I can charge it overnight. You know, these are all the calculations an electricity car, electric mm -hmm. car has uh, deal uh, owner has to deal with. Um, <clears throat> so I am, and even some of those places that I've scoped out along the way, there's a couple in. Uh, and Augusta, and there's uh, Bangor doesn't do me any good. They only have one or two, and uh, that's not on my way. 
I'm thrilled to see that Belfast is thinking of, of putting some in. But and even even here in Boxport next door, they have one, but that doesn't do me any good. That's only three miles from <laughs> right, my house. Right. Uh, you know, so I'm really thrilled to hear your program and know that some more are coming up, and they really should be coming up the coast with all our tourists. Um, and uh, so. Uh, I encourage people to get an electric car. I mean, I think when I bought my car, I checked in at the dealer. It was Darlings in, in Bangor uh, and found out that as far as they could tell from their records, and I think they were the only ones at the time that selling the leaf, there were only uh, four of us in northern <laughs> Maine who had an electric car. If for every for every innovation, there must be pioneers. I Margaret, guess. we give you the Pioneer Award. Thank you so exactly. much. Exactly. Okay, thank you. Great. You, as an early adopter, you've you've uh, gone through all the trials and tribulations. But the you know the good news is that Belfast will have two level chargers open to the public uh, by early. Actually, I think the installation's next week, if Great. I'm not mistaken. Great. Four six nine zero five hundred or one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We've got time for a couple more calls. If you want to comment or ask questions about electric vehicle charging, where else would you like to take this conversation, Dennis? I might just chime in and say that the impetus for our infrastructure project in expanding off the island was really um, a number of purposes. One, we didn't just want the benefits of EVs and infrastructure to be on the island, but beyond that, our mission is really primarily focus on MDI, and yet we realized that for our residents, the concern wasn't about having charging at their home. The concern was when they left the island. As Margaret was saying, it's it's not so much how to get in the near and around community as it is when you leave and go on farther trips. And so we recognized that both to support our year-round residents who maybe want to go to Bangor or Belfast or down east, then the concern is how do I get home? But not only that, but the visitors, whether it's weekly tourists or summer residents, to get to the island with their electric vehicle, they face similar concerns that Margaret does. So I think the point she's making is very compelling and is really the impetus why we've been trying to expand throughout the coastal area to put in infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And as she mentioned, we're we're in Maine and uh, winters are are cold and there's some hilly territory and that that sticker uh, statement, you know, that you'll get 105 miles or whatever Mm -hmm. it may be, um, people have learned to adapt. In, in a variety of ways and and uh, and in surprising ways, things that we don't necessarily think about with our normal gas or mm. or, or diesel cars. So, uh, heating up the car, you know, if you if you get in your electric vehicle and take off and crank up the heater full blast, you're drastically going to drop your range. So mm. people have learned, oh, while it's charging, preheat the cabin of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to buy you a few more miles. Mm-hmm. So um, as you've talked with um, the folks in the auto industry, um, we notion that this, this um, chicken or the egg situation, um, can we sell more electric vehicles? Yes, but we need infrastructure. Um, uh, infrastructure really is, is, is um, looking at the demand that's going to come in the future. What have some, some of the auto dealers or the manufacturers that you've talked with, what, what, are, what are they thinking about the future? Uh, I, I, the, uh, a generalization would be that uh, the dealers know that electric vehicles are here, uh, not necessarily in Maine, but right. they're, they're working in the Maine. They will be here uh-huh. soon because all of the manufacturers are building out lines. And they're building hybrids. They're building a variety of hybrids, and they're building fully electric 
vehicles up and down the range. So everything from smart cars to Volvos uh, to the Jaguar, mm-hmm. I-Pace, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and varying ranges and things like that. The dealers do recognize this sort of chicken and egg uh, issue. Um, being in Maine, the manufacturers are concentrating currently uh, mostly on you know metro areas, mm. uh, uh, you know West Coast and whatnot. And so Maine's going to be lag. The dealers are going to be lagging behind here and in getting inventory. It's, mm. it's very difficult at the moment uh, to get inventory here in Maine. Um, the infrastructure is going to help create demand because. Uh, you know, as we've talked about, less range anxiety makes it even more attractive. Mm. Uh, the cost of the sticker price on these cars, there's a range. You can, you can get in for, you know, $25,000. There are also some of the earlier models that are going to be coming on the used market, and they're exceptionally great deals. So the price of entry for a consumer is going to create demand. The dealers are going to begin to recognize that. The manufacturers are going to begin to push out. Um, it's all trending in mm-hmm. the right direction. Dennis? Yeah, I was just going to chime in on that point that Gordon mentioned about the used EVs. Is This is actually a really compelling way for people to uh, get their foot into the water, so to speak, whether that is to complement an existing vehicle you have, or even if you're just unable to afford a completely new EV. We have an Acclimate to Thrive community member who purchased a used EV that still had a really healthy battery for only $5,000. And so that's something that I think could be very interesting and compelling to a lot of different people. You've got a uh, symposium um, coming up. We want to talk a little bit about that. Who wants to take that? Uh, Dennis? I can just say we're really excited. We're hosting our second electric vehicle symposium on Saturday, June 2nd from 10 a.m. to around 12 to 12.30 at the Moore Community Center in Ellsworth. And this is going to be an opportunity for community members to come together and learn a little bit more about EVs, not to mention those EV owners. Uh, Hopefully you will show up and show off your car and talk. And the format and structure of this, we're going to have a couple of really great panelists. Gordon is going to be on there, but also... More compellingly, we have Michael Stoddard from Efficiency Maine, and they are supporting this program that he is going to be in attendance. We have Sue Eli from National Resources Council of Maine, and we also have Ben Lake from Greater Portland Council of Government. They're all going to be there. There's some real leaders and experts in the field, so we're excited and grateful that they're going to be in attendance. And so they're each going to give a little bit of a talk. We're going to have a large panel discussion, and then we're going to open it up for some smaller-scale workshops. And one, one quick note, uh, Michael Stoddard, who is the uh, Executive Director of Efficiency Maine, will be on our panel and will be there. And what's neat about that is uh, many of you are familiar with the VW diesel scandal and the settlement funds, and Maine is getting quite a bit of money through that settlement program. Efficiency Maine is administering it, and Michael Stoddard will be able to speak to what the Efficiency Maine plans mm-hmm. are, especially for DC fast chargers on major corridors. So those of you who have cars or are planning to get cars who can accept fast charging, that's really welcome news. Mm. Dennis, I'm going to take it back to you um, as we begin to wrap up. In terms of the the, the benefits to the individual's, um, I guess, mental, physical health, <laughs> what what what? What are you seeing as people take charge of their lives in this way? What does this um, What does this bode for the future? Ron, it's a really great question. I'm going to just jump in and say a little more than maybe you'd had in mind. <laughs> but I've, I mentioned in the preface that I'm a 
psychotherapist. And one of the things we know about the ways that the human mind and psyche works is that the lack of hope is incredibly debilitating. And if you read a lot of the climate news out there, it can be very discouraging and leads people to this feeling of hopelessness and powerlessness. And so what gets people to stay engaged and has real tangible benefits on their mood and experiences is if they do have a feeling of hope. And what we know about psychology is that hope arises when you feel some sense of agency and empowerment to do something. And so it might seem really simple or subtle, like going out and getting an electric vehicle, but it's these little actions that are very much not only statements of values and beliefs, but it's also something that helps us feel like we have efficacy in the world and that we are doing something to be a part of the solution. And then the more you're doing that, the more you start to find other community members and like-minded people who you can come together with. And that's just the very type of impetus and inspiration that we're needing to have not only local change and impact, but really on a much broader and larger level. Mm. No, that's exactly the answer I was hoping that you you had as part of your background. So what's next for Climate to Thrive? Um, You've mentioned the um, symposium in Ellsworth on June 2nd. What other kinds of things are coming up that you want listeners to know about in the last couple of minutes, Uh, Gordon? Well, I'm going to let Dennis speak a little bit to some of the other Uh non-EV projects, but that's an ongoing effort, and we're really trying to elicit community support. So a last plug, if you you have an electric vehicle as a listener uh, and can make it Saturday, June 2nd to Ellsworth, it's a great opportunity to, to share your enthusiasm with other interested folks. Yeah. Last word to Dennis. I would just say I'd reiterate what Gordon said, and I would also say that if you're interested in being a potential host site or if you have ideas of where we might be able to work, because we're going to move into our second phase of this infrastructure expansion, and we'd love to be collaborating with all of you. So Climate to Thrive is probably located on the web, so that's the best place to be in, t- in touch. Yes, climatetothrive.org. Thanks. We've come to the end of the hour. Be sure to join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you have comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. And tune in to our companion program, Coastal Conversations, with Natalie Springle of University of Maine Sea Grant, 10 to 11, on the fourth Friday morning of each month. Our music theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests here in the studio, Gordon Beck and Dennis Kiley of A Climate to Thrive, and thanks to Scott Vlon of the Center for Ecology-Based Economy in Western Maine. Thanks to our guests, uh, uh, excuse me, those who called in. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.